Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Um, I want to just tell you quickly how much this church has meant to me through the years. I don't, have never attended it regularly. Um, but even when I was pastor of another church in town, uh, I remember 25 years ago, there was a presidential election that didn't end the way I wanted it to. And I was disturbed. And I came over here on a Wednesday night service for a Wednesday night service. And the pastor preached about the sovereignty of God and how God rules in the nations and how, uh, you, you know, how we shouldn't let any particular political shift disturb us because Jesus is Lord and he's King of Kings. And, and I got to tell you, it, it filled, my, filled me, it changed me, changed me, just that one service. And then later I was going through a rough time in my life and, and uh, names you'll know very well, Coach Rohr to Rice Brooks to Jim LaFoon, Tim Johnson made me buy them food so they'd minister to me. And no, I'm teasing because none of them are here. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it. But they, they loved me and helped me and got me through a tough time. And I've just, I just want you to know that this church has been a font not only to me, but to many other people. And I'm grateful, really, really grateful for what you guys have done. Now, I've got a lot I got to deal with today because last week, Carol Fiddler slammed it home, baby. Slammed it home. Good job. Good job. Much better preacher than her husband. I'm so couldn't be happier about that for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I want to start in a strange way today. I'm going to try not to go long, but I, but I, I believe uh, that the Lord wants me to step into this series that you're doing. Often guest speakers come from the outside. They bring their own strong, whatever their strong teaching is or their emphasis. Uh, but I, I, feel, I felt like I was supposed to step into this, this uh, series with you. So we're talking about state of mind, as you can see, or you could see a moment ago behind me. Um, and I want to just say to you something that will sound like maybe I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. Uh, I want to congratulate you on being born in this generation. I know it wasn't you. I didn't know you didn't make that choice. But the Lord God chose you to live in this generation. He chose you to live now. We see on and constantly in scripture that God determines these things. He determines the times in which you live. He determines the boundaries of your habitations. Psalm 139 makes it clear that the, the days of your life are already numbered by the Lord. He already knows the end from the beginning. And he chose to put you here. He could have put you in a sleepier time in history. He could have put you in some era when nothing big was going to happen and you could just live in a small town and work your job and go about your business and love your family and, and never have to think about well, what did we hear about this last week? Armageddon, nuclear war coming from two sources in the world. You'd never have to think about social upheaval and moral upheaval and religious upheaval. You wouldn't have to think of There are times he could have put you that would be, to the best word I can think of, is sleepy, quiet, peaceful, steady. But he chose to put you in this generation. He chose to put you here where every day you turn on the news and it can be terrifying, Right? It can be terrifying, but he chose you to be here and then he drew you to Jesus and there must be a reason for it. And so I'm, I'm proud of you in a sense. I know it wasn't your choice. I'm not being silly. I'm glad and congratulations that you live now because clearly it means 
that the Lord Jesus Christ intends to use you in this dark and perverse generation. At this time, amongst this people, and with these weird world situations going on. However, we can only really survive and do what we're called to do if we've got the right state of mind. You see how I brought that around to the sermon? You see how I just came back around, joining Carol on stage, as it were. So let's read in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. I'm reading from the New International Version. I know you might be reading from some other version. That's fine. It'll still work for us. And here's what it says. This is the keynote verse for this series that I'm doing the second of a sermon on. Carol started us off last week so beautifully. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These are powerful words, and I'd like to help us understand them a little better. The grammar, the technical grammar in the Greek allows us actually to reverse these two verses. So let me turn them around just for a moment. I'm not trying to do violence to scripture. Let me just turn them around for a moment to emphasize what I really want to emphasize in our time together today. Let's start with verse seven. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so that you will not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do you see how, in a sense, in order to fulfill this verse, we have to have the peace guarding our hearts so that we are not anxious about anything, so that we do pray, so that we do intercede, so that we do stand against the encroachments of this dark and perverse generation. And we need to put this together with another verse that's also part of the keynote verses for this series. It's Proverbs 4, verse 23, and it says this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, what these verses together tell us is that the peace of God is sent into our lives to guard our hearts. That we need that peace. We need that supernatural peace in this demonized and dark and perverse generation. We need the peace of God to sustain us. We need the peace of God so that we can walk and be calm and lead while others are falling apart. The Bible literally says people's hearts will fail them for what's happening in their generation, but you will walk in the peace of the Lord. I want to suggest to you that that's actually supposed to be part of our appeal in the world. I want to be the kind of man who walks calmly and peacefully. It's not that I'm untouched by what people are suffering. It's not that I'm unaware of the difficulties. I want to weep. I want to feel it. I want to know it. But I want to walk in the peace of God so I am solid and I am secure and I can offer peace to others and I can lead. 
because those, those who walk in the face of God will lead in this generation. I live a good portion of my life in D.C. Most everybody's running around with their hair on fire. They're all concerned about the next election. They're all concerned about how they look. Rarely are they, are, are they people who are calm, who are peaceful, a people who know their God. I know I can die, but my death is in God's hands. I know I'm living in a dangerous world, but my life is in his hand. He put me here. He can take me out. To be absent from the body is to be, to be with the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of their saints. I'm not just talking about death, but I'm not sweating it. Our political leaders talk about Armageddon this past week. I'm aware we've got uh, two crazy nations uh, with, although I love the people, but crazy nations politically with their nuclear weapons trained on us. You know what I say? It's in the hands of the living God. My soul, not because of anything special, but because Jesus broke into my life, my soul is at peace. And I'd like for that to be so strong and so profound that, that people who don't know God in this world look at me, look at you, look at believers and go, these people have got something special. Not that they think we're better looking or richer, that's, that, that's, that's incidental, but calm and peaceful and taking hold of God and praying and even hopeful in the midst of dark and terrible circumstances. That's the kind of people we ought to be. So the point that I want to make to you is this. Very, very important. It's what we're going to talk about the rest of the time. You want the peace to guard you, but you have to guard the peace. That sounds like the kind of thing a preacher I knew once, he would say things like that and, and they, people would say amen. And then we all think later, like that doesn't make any sense. We don't know what he's talking about, but it was sure cool at the time, right? Just because he had, he had, he just had that voice. And when he said it, we all went, oh, that's awesome. We go later. What does that mean? We have no idea. The Lord gives you the peace from the Holy Spirit in your life. But clearly, according to the word, we've got to guard our hearts and guard that indwelling of the spirit of God so that that peace is not shaken. It reminds me uh, of, of some years ago when I was embedded with the troops in Iraq and I, I've never served in the uniform. I was just writing a book and I... I um, Remember, I went to Camp Victory there uh, in Iraq around 2005, and, and I was being driven by a sergeant into the compound, and I, knew, I know nothing, right? I'm, I'm just a civilian, and I'm looking at the guards and how many guards there are and what kind of berms are, are you know, we're in the middle of, of enemy territory, basically the, almost the whole nation's enemy territory at that point, and, and we're driving into this compound, and I'm looking, and I, there weren't as many guards as I thought there should have been, and, and, and there weren't as many berms as I thought there should, should have been, and stupidly, I said something. And the sergeant, after I said, you know, this doesn't look very well defended, and he said, he said his words next in the way that says, you are the biggest idiot ever to walk the planet. He said, sir which is like Greek for idiot in their language. <laughs> Sir, these aren't the real guards. These just keep order in the compound. The real guards are out there by the thousands keeping the enemy at bay. I liked that image. Someone had to guard the guards. Someone had to be out there engaging the enemy so the guards could do what they could do or needed to do so somebody could be having a peaceful dinner and somebody could be sleeping and somebody could be training and somebody could be talking to their families back home. You understand what I'm saying? That what I saw as the guards weren't the real guards. There were actual people out there keeping the place safe. So someone had to guard the guards. Someone had to stand fast to protect what was going on in the compound. 
And I want to suggest to you that that's what we need to be about if we're going to be the people we were just saying amen about a few moments ago. We've got to be willing and we've got to be skilled in guarding our hearts and guarding the peace that the Holy Spirit is depositing there so we can be the people we're called to be in this generation. And I, and I want to... I want to take this in a different direction. I want to make it very, very personal today. I, I want you to think about your life in light of some scriptures that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share in just a moment, because I believe we've got to declare war on the peace stealers in our lives. Now, there, there's an image I want to draw from scripture uh, that just, just a story I like that'll give you some, some parallel for this. Very quickly, in Genesis 15, you may remember that Abraham was upset because even though God had promised that he would have descendants and they would be as numerous as the seashore, and so on, sands on the seashore, he didn't have an heir by Genesis 15. He didn't have a son. So he went to God to complain. And God said, okay, make a, make a, make a sacrifice before me and we'll work this out. So Abraham split a bunch of animals. At that point, he was Abram. Split, split a bunch of animals, put them up on a mountaintop on top of rocks and waited for God to come. You know what happened next? Birds of prey came to consume the sacrifice. Birds of prey came to consume the sacrifice. This was perhaps the most important sacrifice in Abraham's entire life. This was about his heirs. This was about his descendants. This was about his destiny. This was about the promises of God. And when he made the sacrifice before God, enemies began to come in to destroy that sacrifice and keep destiny from being fulfilled. Now, that's just a symbol. That's just an example of what needs to happen in our lives. Because as you walk in the peace of God, as God gives you that peace, the enemy fires missiles into your life, peace-stealing missiles to rob you of peace and usually to do it at what would otherwise be very strategic moments in your life. Now, let me, let me break out a couple of Greek words for you just very quickly. Don't get nervous. I know whenever pastors mention they're going to break out the Greek, you go, oh, Jesus, this is going to be five minutes of mind-numbing boredom. But, but I can do it quickly for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul is talking about Satan and saying he's not going to outwit us. And then he says this, for we are not unaware of his schemes of his schemes, English word schemes, not maybe the best word, because the Greek word means a purpose or intention of the mind. It can also mean a strategy. It can also mean a battle plan. So we're not ignorant, it says, of the devil's battle plans, of his strategies. Let me go to the second word and then I'll wrap it up. Ephesians 6, 11, you've read many times, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand. And again, it says, at least in this translation, against the devil's schemes. Again, not a good translation. And by the way, the word is different in Greek because this word is, and you'll know exactly what word in English we get from it when I say it, it's methodia. We get the word method from it or Methodist if you're from that background. Method. So, the, so here's the point of me breaking out these two Greek words. These, these two words teach us the devil has a strategy, but he's also got specific methods and tactics based on that strategy for your destruction. The Bible tells us that the devil prowls back and forth like a lion 
seeking whom he may devour. That word seeking means trying to figure out. He's scanning you. He's trying to see if you can be devoured, and then he's trying to see how. How can you be devoured? And here's what I want to suggest to you. I want to suggest that the devil is afraid of you fulfilling your destiny. He's afraid of you walking as a peaceful man or woman of God in this generation, offering people hope, because when you offer people hope, you acquire a position of leadership in their lives, offering a people hope, withstanding the terror of this age and being God's righteous people in this time. And one of the things he is able to do is to sort of look down history a little bit. He's watched God so much, he can sort of look down history a little bit and he can go, you know, JT's not even saved yet, but when God gets a hold to him, he's going to be awesome. I'm going, this is the devil talking now. I'm going to prevent that by embedding some stuff in his soul that will be like a ticking time bomb when the moment of his destiny comes. Come on now. So all of us are destined and there are great works for us to walk into, great works prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, great works for us to do. And as we come to Jesus and we get cleaned up, we get straightened out, we start to do what God's called us to do. We start to walk in and find as we walk the path of life, we start to find these great works that God's ordained for us. But I want to suggest to you that the enemy in many cases has already planted peace stealers in our souls, scripted through situations we've endured in life. And sometimes because we don't know they're still lying in our, in our souls like ticking time bombs, they tend to go off right at about the time that God is trying to use us in some great and decisive way according to his word. So what we've got to do is wave off. We've got to use missiles like, like the Israelis with their Iron Dome system where they fire missiles to explode missiles. Um, we've got to explode the tactics of the enemy to rob us of the peace that allows us to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. And at this point, we've got to be really honest with ourselves. If we can't be honest on Sunday morning in a church, we can't be honest anywhere, okay? Because every single one of us have in our lives peace stealers. They're those, they're those worries, those fears, those concerns, call them what you will, night terrors, use whatever language you want. That subject that comes up in our souls, that's not just a light concern or worry, it's torment. It's torment because the enemy is as though twisting that knife. Because it's not just there as a light thought, it's there to keep us from being our best. It's there to keep us from doing what Jesus has called us. It's there to torment us. And I want to make a distinction just for a moment. I'll come back to that distinction in just a minute. There's a difference between a thought or a concern that is legitimate. And then when the enemy gets behind that thought or concern and makes it a tormenting force in your life that keeps you up all night, that torments you, that has you sweaty with concern and fear, that dominates you for days, that is the oppression of the enemy. That is the bondage of the enemy. It's normal to think, I hope my kids are healthy. Maybe I need to get them to the doctor. Oh, my, my, my in-laws are taking a road trip. Well, I'm a little concerned about their safety on the road, praying for them. I, I wonder if I have enough money to get through this, this inflation era. All that's normal thinking. But if you're up all night, if you're driven, if there's a demonic force behind it, if you're terrorized, if your peace is robbed, well, then the enemy is building a stronghold of fear and worry in your life 
And it's meant to drive off that peace of God that is in turn meant to guard your heart. So we've got to be able to guard the peace that in turn guards us. We got to go to war. You got to fight a battle for peace in your life. Now, I have to say something, and, and, it, and it, it's going to sound funny, but you, 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 I, I want you to know that I go to Grace Covenant Church. Grace Covenant Church is 90%, 80% African-American, and worship is led by Cool and the gang, okay? And you guys see this face, and some of you are going, we'll be quiet in church, but I don't want you to white me this morning, okay? I want you to, I want you to be like you are, but just pretend I'm James, right? And just let fly. I know I'm not as pretty, I'm just saying, and, and, and let's get in a little bit of a war mode here, because for many of us, we've been robbed by this for decades, for decades, fear and worry and the driving do dominion of the devil in certain areas of our lives has kept us from that peace that is meant to make us exceptional people in this generation. And so I, I want to I talk to you about seven things we need to do to smack the enemy, to drive off these things, to be like those Israeli Scud missiles taking out weapons that are meant for, to harm us in the air, okay? Seven of them. And I, I promise I, I, won't go, I won't go long, but I, but I think it's important. Uh, I believe in seven-point sermons. Uh, Three-point sermons are for Baptists, and, and, uh, and I... I teach at a Baptist seminary, I get to say that. And, and so I want to be a full gospel guy, and so we're going with seven, all right? <laughs> There's somebody in here who probably brought their Baptist in-laws to search, and they're like, oh, Jesus, why did he have to go after the Baptist this morning? I'm just playing. All right, seven things I want you to consider as we declare war on these forces, these, these missiles from the enemy that are intended to destroy their peace stealers. They're meant to destroy the peace in our lives. So we can't be the non-anxious, peaceful, praying, interceding, leading people we're called to be. Instead, we're tormented. Number one is this, and it's gonna sound simple, but it's essential. You must take the word of God, the scriptures, into your life. Now, John 6, 63, Says, Jesus says, the words I have given you are spirit and they are life. And it's, it's, it's likely that many of us in our busy lives, we have our devotional plans, we have our through the Bible in a year plans, we get up, we read the requisite amount of stuff, but we don't allow the word to make its deposit in our souls. Because the words in scripture are like little train cars and they're all carrying anointing and power and release and, and, and power uh, along the lines of the very, what the very words are describing. So we've got to slow it down. We've got to read slowly. We've got to memorize. We've got to meditate. We've got to drink in the scriptures in exactly the places that we are most challenged in our lives. We got to renew our minds. The scriptures want to make a deposit into our souls of power and life. And for some of you worrying and being tormented by fearful, terrorizing thoughts is robbing you of peace. It's robbing you of connections to other human beings. It may be robbing your health. And the beginning of a turn is that you take in the scriptures in the very areas, on the very topics where you are worried, whatever it might be. 
For some of us, the thought of financial lack is tormenting. We worry about it all the time. Maybe we came from poor families. It doesn't have to be a poor family. I've known a billionaire who is terrified he would lose his fortune. The thought tormented him all the time. You don't have to have a lot to be scared of lack. And so what we've got to learn to do is to battle back. He had to know how to fight back. He had to know how to take in the scriptures. He had to know how to read and memorize the scriptures and meditate on them and let them make the deposit of faith and strength and anointing and power that he was intended to have. We don't just read the Bible like we read the newspaper. We let it make its deposit in our lives. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I didn't just make that up. That's John 1.8, Joshua 1.8. So it's about letting the word of God make its deposit. Number two, we believe as a movement and in this church, that Christians have victory over the devil. No question about it. We believe that. All Christians should believe it. I know some folks are intentional about it. Whatever, we'll leave them to their attention and help them if we can. At the same time, it is possible, it is possible for a Christian to be troubled by the demonic without being demon-possessed. In fact, let me straighten something out for you. In the Bible, uh, there is actually, in the original Greek, there's no word for demon-possessed. There's one word, and it's demonotomai, and it means to be demonized. And yeah, there are people who are completely controlled by demons. You see that in Scripture. Maybe you've seen it in your life. And then there are far lesser activities of the devil, which would still be described by the, by the Bible as demonized, Right? A demon can still work to make someone sick, can still work to rob somebody of peace, can still work to to damage somebody, can still cause an accident. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. You can still be troubled and tormented by a demon, right? We, 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 We believe that. So we've got to begin to discern the difference between a healthy thought of concern about someone we love, some condition in our life, something that we need, something that we're worried about in the world or concerned about in the world, and then when the demonic gets behind that concern and drives it to a level of torment and terror. And some of us have gotten used to that being the case. We assume that when the enemy suggests or there's just a natural area of concern in our lives, health of our children, whatever, money, you know, people loving us or not, rejecting us, whatever it might be, we have those natural thoughts. We've gotten used to that going from zero to a hundred from just a natural thought of concern that ought to be turned to prayer and then, you know, you still sleep well that night to the point where the enemy is just grinding it and grinding it and grinding it and your sleep is stolen and your health is stolen and you're less engaging other people and you can't lead and you can't speak words of faith to help those that might be stricken because you're having the peace of God robbed from your life. Because the last thing the devil wants is you peaceful and whole and filled with faith and talking the word to people and being a light in a dark world. So you've got to discern. And if you believe, as I'm sure is the case for some of us in here, that the enemy is just grinding otherwise normal healthy concerns, you need to get help. We need to break that out for your life.
And there are people here, it doesn't take necessarily specialists, just get Christians, get, get believers to agree with you. Pray against that stuff. Discern the difference between a normal concern, that's fine, it's fine, just to be concerned is not worry. And then when the enemy comes in and he starts to build a stronghold in your skull that is meant to destroy you, there's a difference between the two and you got to get free. You got to get free. Number three is this, and get ready now, I'm going to take a practical turn here before we finish. You need to watch your entertainments. Thank you for saying amen. I thought I was going to be alone on this stage. I thought I was going to be lonely, have to get JT and maybe Carol come up here and hold my hand. Thank you. Now listen. I've seen a couple of dead bodies in my life, and I've been around war zones, so I've seen people shot and hurt, a few. But in the entertainments that I've watched, I've seen 10,000 people murdered, right? I mean, I'm, I'm in my early 60s. All the movies I've seen in my whole life, from Gunsmoke to whatever I'm watching now, that's a lot of dead folks. They're not really dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a little bit happening in reality. There's a whole lot happening in entertainments I watch. I've seen a couple of robberies go on or been the victim of it or helped people through it. You know, a little bit, just a little bit, not enough to even talk about. But on television or movies, I've seen thousands of robberies. Do you see what I'm saying? Our entertainments enhance and enlarge the very things that might be tormenting us. I've seen a few people have financial trouble on television. I've seen thousands of them. Do you see how our entertainments could, I'm not saying it every case, but could be helping to build strongholds in our lives, just as if you were watching porn, just as if you were watching whatever, right? So I'm not, I'm not up here like the narrow preacher saying, throw your, if you start throwing your TV out the window today and you say, Mansfield told me to do it, you're going to get me in trouble and I'm not going to be happy about it. I like movies, I like television, I like watching the news, I'm not being weird and extreme. But look at your entertainment to see if it's helping to build a stronghold in the very area of fear and concern that is tormenting you and keeping you from the dominance of the peace of God. We gotta talk about it, we gotta talk about it, right? We, we, we would talk about porn. We would talk about naked people on TV. We would talk about maybe stuff that's too violent. We would certainly, and we should, talk about racist stuff. We should talk about abusive women uh, in, in film. We gotta, as Christians, talk about the stronghold of worry and fear that could also be fed in our entertainments. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Do we believe that? Okay. See, if you say amen loud enough, I go on to the next thing. That's how it works. You wanna hurry this thing along and go eat? Just help me. I'm just playing. Number four, you got to build a culture of peace in your life and home. Build a culture of peace. Now, that's done a lot of ways, but I want to suggest this. I want to suggest that if you will devote yourself to peace and watch for peaceful lives in your home and encourage peace and pray for peace, we'll talk about that in a minute. If you will build a, a culture just means what's encouraged to grow. If in your home there's lots of fear talk and there's lots of, uh, lots of people screaming at each other and lots of worry, it's not, going to be a, it's not going to be a peaceful home. And I believe this is a supernatural thing. I believe you can build a culture of peace in your home that's so firm and solid that people actually know when it changes for any reason. I was, I was about 16. I'm going to tell this even with my wife sitting on the front row over here. But I was about 16 and the rule was I couldn't take a girl in my home. 
My mother was gone for a while. And so for a few hours, I brought my girlfriend into the home. Now, all she did was sit in the kitchen. I'm not telling you a nasty story here. But she was in the home. She wasn't supposed to be. And I was in sin by disobeying my mother. Wisely, in an evil sense, I got my girlfriend out of the house before my mom was scheduled to come home. Here's how this happened. My mother, who was a believer at that point, groceries in hand, purse in the other, came in, kissed her son, took two more steps, and went like this. Not really, but she was sensing and she turned to me and said, what's happened here? You want to know why? Let's use Star Trek language. There was a tremor in the force. You follow what I'm saying? To use JJ, uh, JT language, there was some bad juju in the room, right? She knew. Why? Because she had, she'd become a believer. She'd prayed. She committed the house to Jesus. Not everybody in the house was a Christian, but she knew when the peace of God dwelt in her home and she knew what it had been troubled. And it had been troubled, not as bad as it could have been, or just, but, but by her son's disobedience is all I'm saying. And literally it was as though she stepped in and went, what's cooking that shouldn't be, right? She sensed it. Why? Because there was a relative culture of peace in our home as much as my born-again spirit-filled mother could possibly make happen. And she knew when something went wrong. Wouldn't it be great for all of us to have that degree of peace residing in our home so that when it's shaken or when it's disturbed or when it's violated, we know. We know things going on with our children. We know things going on in the home. We know what might be happening with a spouse just because we can feel it. The peace is rocked. That may be what the Bible means when it says the peace of God will guard our hearts. I want that kind of peace in my home. It's just, for the most part, Bev and me living at home. And we have that for the moment. We have a very peaceful home. But I want it supernaturally strong. I want it when just people come in to visit with us. And I go, huh, maybe there's something we need to help this person with. Maybe there's something we need to pray for. Because, because you just sense these things. I believe that can happen. And by the way, let me go on to the next one, which is this. Conversations. We can't build a culture of peace in our home that guards the peace of God that's meant to rule and guard our hearts if our conversations with people are filled with fear and worry and negative and doubt and what might happen and what are they saying and hating on people in D.C. or whatever. Do you follow what I'm saying? I had a very Southern grandmother. Uh, she lived in Albany, Georgia. She was so Southern, she said it Albany. Uh, and... And she was a worrier. I mean, a serious worry. And it always started like, ooh, my Lord. You just have to hear that high Southern like Aunt B, right? Ooh, my Lord. You don't know how the lightning is here. Get in here down before this hits you, right? We're looking at the sky, can't find anything. At that time, I was 16. I had to be 250, about six feet, four inches tall. And I'm only telling you that because I could handle most stuff that might have happened. If I was late to the grocery store, this is no lie, she called the police. <laughs> the policeman knew who she was. He would come and catch me halfway. He'd go, hey, Stephen, she called me. And I said, I'm sorry, Sergeant. That's and I would walk home and go, what? If I had a piece of chocolate cake, she'd go, oh, my Lord, be careful. I'm like... It turned out she was worried I was going to eat the candle that was in the middle of the piece of truck. It was just. And so as sweet as she was, much as I adored her, the home was filled with, oh, my Lord. And you were worried about every kind of person in every part of the world. Have you seen this? Oh, my Lord. And I mean, the newspaper, and I don't know who was president at that time, but I mean, he was making no sense, scaring her, keeping her up at night, whoever it was, Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. It was, oh, my Lord, every 16 seconds. 
when we would leave that visit for the next three days, we'd get in the back of the car and taunt my father with, ooh, my Lord, you know? <laughs> but, but I'm having fun with it, but the point is that the home genuinely was filled with worry and concern. And, and the conversations fed it. And then what was cute to us as Yankee, her Yankee grandkids, which she never did quite understand, was that her, her sisters-in-law, or she had one sister come over, and you could hear, you could listen as they came in the door. They hadn't even hugged each other yet. Oh my Lord, did you see that in the paper? And they're starting from 15 feet apart, talking about what was bad and what was wrong, and just sitting there worrying. And I don't mean to be harsh with them, but a huge number of them died early and of cancer. And I've always wondered, just in retrospect, with all respect for them, loving them as I do as my family members, did all that fear and worry and negative stuff, did it build something? Did it give the enemy an opportunity? I don't know, and I'm not going to draw conclusions, but I'm going to be sure in my life. Do you follow what I mean? doesn't mean you can't talk about reality. I'm not saying let's never say anything negative. You've got to say negative things. Bad things happen in the world. We're going to talk about them. I live in a largely political DC, most of a good chunk of my life. Of course, you're going to talk about the negative. You can't even prepare for bad things if you don't talk about them honestly. I'm not saying we're going to play some kind of verbal games here, but we don't let the fear and the negative dominate us, drive our conversations, drive our thoughts, and keep us from Jesus and the peace that He ordained. Two more things. Number one, respond quickly to a lack of peace. Your spouse is unpeaceful, ask about it. Home is unpeaceful, kids unpeaceful. There's a tremor in the force, to put it humorously. I don't, the Lord's not offended by that language. Something's not right. Don't make peace with lack of peace. Don't get used to lack of peace dominating your life. I've had people explain to me, and somebody just say, he's just an unpeaceful, pers- per- per- uh, an unpeaceful person. Well, I mean, that may have been accurate at the time, but I don't want that for any of you. I want you to be known for that. We're not going to make peace for that. That's like making peace with, well, alcohol's always dominated his people, even though he's a believer, I guess it will. No, really? Would we accept that? Well, he just, he just loves that porn. Nothing really we can do it. Would we accept that? Last night, we would have tackled a man who talked that way about his life in that men's meeting. Because why? Because we're believers in Jesus Christ who love each other, and we're going to go after every kind of stronghold that might destroy you because we want to see you set free and fulfilling the purposes of God. But don't make peace with lack of peace. Because your destiny, your calling, the state of your soul is meant to be the peace of God guarding you. And then you got to guard that connection between your soul and the spirit of God that gives you peace with all the things that we're talking about. And then finally, pray for peace. Pray for peace. Pray. Pray for peace in your home. Pray for peace in your life. It pours off of every page of scripture. It pours off of every page of scripture, grace and peace. We actually say it humorously, yeah, grace and peace, if we just want to say go away, basically. Grace and peace, right? We, we, we read that it says the God of peace will sh- soon crush, the God, God will soon crush, crush Satan under your feet, but we forget that it says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I like the Jewish word shalom very much having lived for periods of short periods of time and in, in, um, in Israel and having Jews who were friends. And some of you will know the name Daniel Rabbi Lappin, a man I deeply admire, plan to have in our men's events. I, I love Jewish culture and, and the land of Israel. And, and of course, as believers, we pray for and stand for our Jewish friends. But my point is they use the word shalom and it's translated peace. That's the easy translation. What it means is a situation dominated by peace, harmony, 
wholeness, thoroughgoing health, and peace. Not just peace like, well, may you have peace as you go to your car, goodbye, but a life completely consistent with peace and wholeness and health. When I pray for peace for Bev, when I pray for peace for uh, my little buddy, my grandchild Leander over here, when I pray for peace for our kids, another grandkid, I've got one other grandkid, I actually break into the Hebrew word, not because I'm showing off to God, he knows I don't read Hebrew, but because I like the word and what it means. Lord, give shalom. Give shalom, not just momentary peace, but a complete abiding peace that transforms and that delivers and that referees, that, that, that guards our, their hearts. And that includes everything else, every kind of protection, every kind of provision. Some people translate it prosperity. It's too narrow. It's only prosperity because divine peace reigns in the entirety. Now look up here at me. I'm going to close this Hebrew style. You ready? May the Lord Jesus Christ give you supernatural peace from his spirit. And may he also give you strategies for guarding that peace in your life. May he give you Holy Spirit radar to know the strongholds and, and the, the peace stealers that have been assigned to you, some, in some cases, your whole life. And may he break the spirits of fear and terror and worry off your life. May your home be filled with shalom. May your life be filled with shalom. May you breathe and emit shalom that even people who don't need Jesus, know Jesus will say, that's something different with that person. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want some of that in my life. May you be transformed. May your night seasons no longer be stolen. May your dream life no longer be stolen. May your home, with whatever fun and humor and else goes on, may it be filled with shalom-like encouragement and conversations that the peace of the Lord might reign. And may we be shining peaceful lights in this dark and perverse generation. And everybody said, amen. I love you. Bye-bye. Amen. <laughs>